Hello and welcome to Cloudy with a Chance of Brain, the new podcast that helps you navigate the cloud with insights from some of the top minds in the industry. I'm Alex Sage. And I'm Alistair Hodge. If you've not joined us before, we work as consultants for CloudSoft, giving advice and hands-on assistance to help customers with cloud strategy and adoption, application architecture and modernization, and generally unlocking the many benefits that cloud promises. Today, we're talking all about FinOps with the wonderful Ashley Hromatko of leading learning organization, Pearson. Hello, Ashley. Hey, good morning. FinOps is a relatively new term for cloud financial management. It describes a set of practices which bring together finance and IT in the brave new world of cloud. But we'll let Ashley fill you in on the details. But before that, can you firstly give us a little background on yourself? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So I've always been really fascinated with education. I actually went to college thinking I was going to be an economics teacher. um, And I took my first systems class. I really got exposed to technology and I just fell in love with it. So um, I've really been in the kind of education slash testing industry for the last 10 years. And I joined Pearson because they're doing some amazing cutting edge technology in like the testing world and with student platforms. And so I just loved getting to pair those two things together. When I began at Pearson, I was a technical project manager and we had so much in the data center. So my role was really lifting and shifting us out of the data center. And that really transformed to how do we modernize and move to the cloud. And as we were doing that, our bill continued to grow and grow and grow. And we kind of hit a tipping point where we needed to branch out and create this specific team that kind of handled our cloud financial management. And we we called that FinOps. And so today I run that team globally across Pearson and um, we're really focusing on trying to gain economies of scale with the work that we do and also figuring out how we do cloud financial management across our multi-cloud strategy as well. So just kind of been an evolution um, to where I am today. Excellent. Uh, and you're a real ambassador for FinOps. So why do you think it is such a powerful set of practices? Yeah, I think it's really powerful because the way that we procure software has really changed. It's shifted with the cloud. You know, traditionally, um, you would go and you know you'd ask for a set of servers and you would pay for that all front, and you know you'd have that to depreciate over ten years. The cloud really introduced this variable model where you know an engineer could be hired tomorrow and spinning up a server, and so. I think that has really pushed to the edge, not in only like responsibility to our engineering teams, but our finance team is going through this digital transformation at the same time as engineering teams. But I think we still have this gap, um, you know, you know what finance um, cares about and what the engineer thinks about. We need to kind of close those gaps and get them closer to alignment. And I think the practice of FinOps, at least as Pearson, has helped us really bridge that gap um, and help shift culturally how we think about this. And so for me, the practice provides a functional way for companies to understand their cloud spend, but also feel empowered to manage it and to innovate with it. Um, And it allows us to develop these governance and best standard practices across our entire company. And so for me, FinOps uh, has been really critical that we we implement it as a practice and not a prescription in in, in our environment. Yes. I think all all too often we hear about big T transformation projects that are undertaken almost as as an end in themselves, sort of like as if the the big success stories of Lean or Agile or Scrum have kind of led to a cargo cult. Um, I think it's crucially important to realize these aren't magical cures. They're not silver bullets. We're at the intersection of culture and people and trying to introduce practices that unite those those two camps. 
Yeah, we actually have a pretty good example. Like when we first did this, um, and one uh, side of our business, we were trying to launch a FinOps function, and the other side, you know, we needed to get some quick, easy wins, and so we brought in like a pilot program. Um, you know, so we hired some contract staff, and we said, let's go after targeting optimization, and that, they did a great job, and that worked really, really well. But you know, as that team or that program closed, what we saw is kind of the reverse of you know that those uh that spend drove back up again. You know, some of those bad habits crept back in again, and so. For us, that was a big light bulb that like, this is something that we have to make a practice and we have to change the, our, our mindsets um, at the very beginning of you know building, migrating, and can continue that through the life cycle. So even if something's operational, we're still thinking about costs all the time. So that was kind of a little bit like a wake up call to us yep. that like, it wasn't a one and done thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's worth noting where the FinOps name comes from as well, in that it's an homage to DevOps. And... Uh, we speak to people who uh, often think that FinOps is going to be something to do with fintech, but instead it's about that combination of finance and operations working together. Uh, another thing that we hear from some people is that like with DevOps, you expect the, the dev and the ops people to be like in the same team. You're changing the way the products are developed and so on. Uh, and in the same way, we're looking for that cultural change for finance, operations, the business, application teams to all work together. Um, but I think that the team structure is different, isn't it, Ashley? So could you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah. So for us, like we sit inside of our infrastructure and operations team, our FinOps team, because we feel like it's the place where we can be the closest, you know, to the edge teams that can make a difference. And so, um, you know, I report up through our site reliability engineering division. Um, and I think that that's really helped us kind of some degree be part of the center of excellence. And um, we're able to work directly with those teams, uh, maybe versus like kind of passing something over the wall to them. For your role as a senior FinOps manager at Pearson, so what does that involve? What's your day-to-day look like? Yeah, so it's always changing. You know, um, one thing that I'm really uh, key into is I'm part of this cloud governance council. So um, what this is, is we have folks from CISO, from product managing teams, from site reliability engineering teams. We all get together and we talk about our best standards and our practices. And, you know, we vote on different policies um, that we think, uh, you know, could help global Pearson. And so, you know, that allows me to kind of bring to this team, hey, I see this, we're, we've got a lot of, EBS volumes that are sitting out there, like, have we considered writing a script? Have we considered putting a policy, a backup policy around those things? And so that's a big key part of my role, I think, is being on that council to help set some of those standards. Um, I think it's also powerful that, you know, we have a voting seat on that because we can, any strategy that comes forward, like maybe we want to change the way we're doing logging, we can think about what is the impact financially of doing that. Um, but day to day, I'm really focusing on kind of improving our FinOps services. So we focus on forecasting, cost optimization. Um, we focus a lot on following up with budget alerts, anomaly alerts. And, you know, for me, a big part of our job is reporting up to our executive teams of, you know, how are we doing? You know, can we define how good we're doing in the cloud? And then at the same time, working on the ground with the engineering teams. So I'm really focused on the strategy and the initiatives behind FinOps. So how do we standardize, um, you know, how we do our savings plan, our reservations, and what cost initiatives can we be working with hand-in-hand with the SRE teams? You know, they go out with their OKRs. Um, How can we help push their OKRs to the edge? So that's a big part of our role. It's always kind of a balance of, you know, setting the governance, but also on the ground with the teams, and then ultimately making sure our executive leadership has a very clear vision of our cloud um, spend and our cloud plans. 
That's fascinating. That that sounds quite mature and well developed. But of course, FinOps is a relatively new discipline. It's a relatively emergent set of practices that is still evolving. And how has your thinking evolved as your practice has evolved at Pearson? Yeah, well, when you when you talk about FinOps, they talk a lot about the crawl walk model, um, and I think that's been really really important for us. Um, obviously, day one we'd love to go out and be in this running mode, but um, you know, realistically, we take each one of our components that we focus on and we just keep iterating on it continuously. And um, I like to use this kind of example too that like you know, it really is a practice and not a prescription. So um, I was kind of thinking of this, this analogy that like, if you have a headache and you keep giving yourself ibuprofen over and over and over, um, once you stop, if you still have that headache, you probably have a root problem that you need to look at. And so that's kind of what we take back to our teams is, you know, and kind of investigating what that root headache is. And, you know, just a really minor thing, but like when we first started doing budget alerts, you know, we went on every single account and we manually set those up and we figured out we can't do that at scale, you know? So we went back and figured out we had to build in some automation and, hey, wouldn't it be nice if our budget alerts matched our forecast? And so, you know, we figured that out. And then uh, wouldn't it be nice if our budget alerts didn't just motivate the product team, but also the SRE team that could take action. And so I think that's really important when you're building really any Anything, but especially if FinOps practice is, you know, you're always going to be in those crawl, walk, run stages and you have to be iterative and keep cycling back. And um, and that's, I think, what's worked well, well for us. That's so cool. One of the things that occurs to me is the revelation almost was that FinOps is not just about saving money. It's about maximizing value. And clients often come to us at CloudSoft to say, help me reduce my IT costs. And some of them almost expect that migrating to the cloud as some magic bullet to deliver on that. Um, is is cost reduction by itself, is that a good reason to look at cloud adoption? And when companies do migrate, why do you think cloud costs sometimes come as a, a bit of a surprise or a shock even? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I definitely think when we were first moving to the cloud six years ago, that was always our selling point right at the forefront of our conversations. Um, I think we've learned over time that you know cost is only one thing to consider. You know that organizations consider when they are thinking about moving to the cloud. Um, you know, I have a really good example of we uh, migrated an application on cloud and we did reduce the on-prem cost by 60%. So that was really successful. Um, we've also had other products where because we've been able to get them onto cloud and they've been able to scale, we've been able to serve our customers better. And so, you know, we've been able to deliver a better, you know, SLO to them. Um, we've had, we now require less administrative staff to run it. And so, you know, the, actually the product increased by 20% and that's not a bad thing. And so, you know, we always have to be careful when you're you're saying like, what does what running in the cloud good mean? And it's not always, good is not always equal to cost savings. And so that's a lesson that that we have definitely learned. Um, I, I think cost can often be surprising because organizations will create this estimate ahead of time, you know, and it's at a point in time, like this is what we think we're going to uh, spend when we move this a certain application to the cloud. And once you get into it, you might find out, you know what, it makes more sense if we move to this managed service. Um, it, you know, Actually, you know what, we we don't have a DR strategy for what we're moving and we do want to have a DR strategy here. And so, you know, we have to remember that scope changes um, will creep in and, and that can be really powerful as well. And so we really advocate for continued forecasting. So yes, you do an estimate up front, you get it in the cloud, and then you should be continually to look at that workload and forecasting. And um, I often love this phrase that the FinOps uses, which is like, um, you know, inform, uh, inform to ignore. And so oftentimes I feel like we 
we bridge that gap with our finance team and they're like, that product is spending you know, three times more in the cloud. And it's like, well, let's go figure out the information for why. Oh, you know what? It's doing this because it's being really, really successful for our customers. So you know, we've gotten that information to ignore the panic button of the you know, excess costs. And so um, I guess just to re- reiterate, it's just like, you know, you, you will do an estimate. Um, it's not always perfect because there is scope creep. Scope creep can be good. It can be bad. Uh, but you have to continuously watch your workloads over time. That's a great point. Like if you double the number of customers and your cloud costs go up, that's no surprise and everyone's happy. Uh, so thinking about that sort of return on investment of moving to the cloud, yeah, it's so important to think about all those risks and benefits and not just the cost. Uh, like we often talk to people and explain about that it's not just an IT project moving to the cloud. Uh, you need to uh, not just treat it like another data center. Otherwise, you're going to find it more expensive and you won't get the benefits. Um, so coming back to the cost, like why do companies struggle to estimate and keep control of their costs? Yeah, I think, you know, going back to that culture mindset, like right off the bat, like engineers haven't had to think about costs before, you know, traditionally in the data center. Um, That's been out of their scope. So that's definitely a mindset and that takes some training and education. And, you know, some some folks are going to want to step right into that challenge and other folks are going to, you know, want to delegate that challenge. And so I think that's one reason, um, you know, we often found a lack of accountability, not purposefully or anything like that, but we needed to figure out who was going to own this from a product standpoint that maybe didn't have that accountability before. And so that was a a big change for us. Um, And and we want to make sure that, you know, we're having them accountable all the way through the process and not getting to the end of year and kind of shocking them. So that made us um, realize that, you know, I think that there's a lot of lack of visibility for teams to act. And so I think that's why they, they struggle as well. Um, and then, you know, from our finance team, sometimes it's a lack of understanding the cost and, and what drives it. And so going back to that informed to a nor phase, like I think that happens too of um, there's this sense of we need to control the cloud. And I would argue that we need to understand the cloud. Um, and I also think if you don't have a FinOps team there to help prioritize or go after easy wins or generate those reports, it's easy for that to fall into the back front. And I often like kind of, reflect FinOps similar to a CISO organization. Um, you don't often see your CISO, you know, engineers going in and like re-engineering an application on behalf of a team, but they're there to provide support. They're there to say, here are your security vulnerabilities, right? And I feel like our FinOps team is there to do that from a cost standpoint. So I would say, you know, those couple of things together um, are probably why some team or companies have a hard time estimating and keeping their controls under cost. Yeah, I think also like the the billing model is just confusing in cloud in many places. Like the way that uh, data transfer will often be a surprising cost and it's potentially hard to estimate ahead of time. Like the billing model for load balancers has many different dimensions and unless you really know exactly how it's going to be used and you're an expert in this area, predicting those costs can be incredibly hard. And particularly when if you're using things like serverless, then it can scale down to zero or it can scale up incredibly high if you also then have it um, heavily loaded and predicting what those costs are in advance takes a lot of experience and a lot of understanding. Yeah, all of that stuff, I think, takes a lot of muscle memory. Like you've had a previous application that was configured the same way, so you can look at it and mirror it, you know. And um, you're right, like the the chargeback is complex and, you know, there's some gotchas like data transfer and things like that. And it often does come with 
experience and it comes with getting a few bruises along the way. So I think that's, that's pretty, uh, uh, that, that does take, um, some training of the mind. You mentioned a little bit about the, the positioning of the, the FinOps team within Pearson. Can we, can we back up a bit and maybe do a deep dive on, on what that team looks like and what roles you have and what, what the main competencies you, competencies you focus on in that team? Yeah, yeah. So as I mentioned, we sit in the infrastructure and operation division. Um, so in our organization, we have site reliability engineering engineers and we have product development engineers. And so those two teams work very, very, very closely together. Um, we found that it made more sense to be as close to the edge team as possible. Um, so when my executive leadership is setting OKRs, they are my OKRs, they are their OKRs. So that's why that's worked really, really well for us. I often get asked, like, what are the different roles you have in our team? And so we have something called a practitioner. And they're really like our program manager because we do education programs. Um, you know, we're right now working on a program to work with some external uh, engineers and start training them. And so that's a big part of program management that we need it in our role um, as well. We also have a data analyst. Um, and so I've got a data analyst over each one of our business units and they know those products like the back of their hand. They know the technical teams. Um, they know what to watch for trends and variants and like that's their baby, right? And so um, those are our data analysts. And I always say that's such a unicorn role because you've got to have someone that, you know, can go one day present to a CTO, but at the same time sit and talk about S3 storage uh, with an engineer. So um, we also have a BI developer. So a lot of what we do needs to roll up into dashboard and we need to collect um, time series metrics. So well, where are we at on rice sizing? today, where are we at three months from now, where we were at six months. So that was a big thing for us to implement these time series reports. And then um, we also have an automation engineer that really focuses on scaling our practices. So, um, you know, I kind of surprise people when I tell them that we have 700 AWS accounts. And so anything that we do at scale is going to require some automation engineers. Um, really for us, we focus on nine, nine core competencies. So governance, education, automation, doing the analysis work, charging the bill back, forecasting, reporting, <laughs> pricing strategies. And then um, we also are the, um, we have a cloud financial management tool um, and we manage that and we administer that as well. So all of those core competencies I consider are workflows and we're constantly trying to get better at them and scale them and take the feedback from our, you know, our end users and see what we can do differently. Um, so that's where I go back to saying we're always crawl, walk and run at those things. Um, and really my stakeholders is everybody in the company, right? So the SRE teams, the developers, the product owners, finance, CTO, CIO. Um, so I have a lot of stakeholders uh, that I'm um, definitely trying to make sure we're achieving objectives for all of them. Nice. That sounds like a really great interdisciplinary team for that FinOps team. Uh, it's interesting how cloud costs bring together so many of those different challenges of economics and finance, big data and analytics and engineering and many more. Um, and like you said, it also involves interacting with lots of different parts of the organization and speaking their different languages. So how much is it the job of the FinOps team to talk those different languages versus educate the different parts of the business to use a more common language? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think education goes both ways. I think there are a lot of education that my teams get from the SRE team. So we're learning about Terraform. We're learning about um, Fargate. So we're learning about terms that they are used to you know, dealing with day on and day on. 
And then we're also working with the finance teams to learn about, you know, amortization, OPEX, you know, where, where we have to understand those terms, but we have our own unique FinOps terms as well, like reserved instances, utilization, capacity. And so um, that has been a huge role in our thing is to level set that we're all talking about the exact same term. Um, and I think that we, we've boosted a lot of education around this, a lot of like what we call service guides. Um, so if we talk about forecasting, our engineers know their role in forecasting all the way to what the delivery role is for finance. And so it's definitely really, really uh, uh, important that our FinOps teams, you know, understands those different languages and then also vice versa educates on it to the rest of the company. Hmm. And let's drill in more to those roles and responsibilities and accountabilities. So there's some things that they, that core FinOps team are doing, like you mentioned about buying reserved instances or savings plans, uh, looking after the like the tooling that's going to actually do the, the cost reporting and charge back and so on. Whereas you're kind of trying to get other bits of accountability to be the responsibility of the application team. So, you know, can you say more about how those responsibilities divide up? Yeah. So like a good examples with savings plan and reservations planning, um, you know, we try to take that a little bit out of the engineer's hands. Like we'll have conversations with them, understand, are they going to stay on that similar workload or our break even? Um, but we go ahead and purchase those things on their behalf and then we manage them at scale. So like if something were to happen, we can shift, you know, that coverage somewhere else. And so we really want them focusing on the things that they can control. And so what we'll do is make sure that they can see, you know, their real-time data, and then that's what they can impact as well. Um, so I hope that helps answers your question. But I think there's definitely some things that you want to take out of the privy of the engineers and let them focus on what they can control. And we often talk a lot about this concept of unit of economics, and that is so powerful because, um, you know, if you're an engineer, you know, that's something that's a little metric that you can control. So an example I have here is we uh, administer tests. And um, if we can figure out on a specific application that it cost us $2 to administer each test, then our engineers can say, well, let's try to get that down to $1.50. That's something that they can really make an impact on because they know, you know, if I shut off my performance environment this next month, I'm going to lower that unit of economics. And so we try to change the, the conversation a little bit away from revenue and expenses and, and more on this unit of economics. We give them something very specific to focus on. Sounds good. And yeah, I, th I think that can be tricky as well for engineers who often don't include the cost of their own time. So when you present them with a bill, they can understand that, but then they spend a few days cutting that bill by a tiny amount. Whereas, you know, like figuring out what that return on investment is. Uh, does that involve a lot of coaching and training of those teams or, or not? Yeah, that's a really good point. And so oftentimes you can get like a, you know, a recommendation out of a tool that says, you know, you could do all this stuff and you can right size and it's, you know, a hundred items and you look at it and it's like, oh, that would save us $500 a month. But for that specific engineer to go do that activity, you know, that's two weeks worth of time. And, you know, we're talking significant labor hours. And so that's what's also really important about this collaboration with FinOps and SRE teams is we go have those conversations and together we can decide, you know, you know, prioritization, you know, what, what, what isn't worth the value to take action on. Um, and so I think that's really important too, because instead of just going out and saying, this team has work to do, we're saying they have work to do, but when we, uh, you know, evaluated it, 
there's not like a really beneficial, you know, it, it costs more in labor to actually do the work. And so at this point, we're going to punt on this until it becomes more significant. So I think that goes back to why it's so key that you don't just kind of have someone blindly shutting things off or, um, you know, uh, right-sizing, uh, you know, that you actually are having those true conversations with people that understand the systems. Yeah. And of course, the the other challenge I'm sure you face is then when you give them a recommendation for something that will save significant amounts of money, whether they actually prioritize that versus the feature development that other parts of the organization are shouting at them about. So... Sure, yeah, challenge. we try to be very patient with some teams and realize it may take a couple months and that we're, you know, just one of many stakeholders that are competing to get on their backlogs. And, you know, I think one thing that's been really powerful from us is we try to do like more of a kudos board, right? So here are the teams that are, you know, knocking out $5,000 a month. Here are the teams that are, you know, switching their storage on S3. And so, um, we really try to booster those teams and give them as much you know recognition we can with um, leadership teams um, for the good work that they do. And you know we're always willing to work with anybody who wants to circle back to us when they have time as well. That's totally cool. And I agree with Alad when he said, you know your your FinOps team is a great interdisciplinary team. So you guys you sound like the Avengers. You're just this really cool team. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's bringing everyone's bringing a different skill to the table, and that combination of skills helps you deliver the benefits of FinOps. But how how should we get started with a FinOps team? Yeah, for me, I tell us everyone it's 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 a top down thing, but you're you're working bottom up. It's kind of you know bizarre way to say it that way, but like you need your executive leadership to buy into this practice because. Um, it, it, it is more than just a, a one-year program to do. And so, you know, you need a significant amount of time to build it up from the ground. You need to make sure you have the right skill set. I mean, I just described four different roles within our team, right? Um, and, and you really need to make sure your engineering leadership will buy into this culture as well. I think it's important that FinOps sits at the table, the governance table, um, and you work to facilitate as much education as possible. So I would say... It starts at the top up. If you find that key person um, as an executive leader that wants to support it, knowing that it's going to take time to build and you want to be on the ground with the engineers. And, you know, I think whether you're, you with your company, you know, see it now and can get ahead of it, you know, whether you're just starting in the cloud or just starting to migrate is so important. There's so many lessons I learned that, you know, being a large company, sometimes I'm like, I wish I would have gone back to day zero, the first server that we we moved and we would have put some of this stuff in place. And so um, I just would encourage that, like, do it before you hit your, you, you know, that tipping point where someone's like, we should have a better eye on these cloud costs. So that's my that's my big recommendation. Do do FinOps before you FinOps. Is that the yeah? That the that's perfect. Yes. <laughs> um, I would say too, when you get started, you know, it's analyze yeah. your current state. You want that baseline. Where are you at today? And where do you want to be a year from now? And work on those quick wins, and that will just give you that mo- you know motivation and gives that teams the motivations as well. Um, make sure you're collaborating with the engineering teams. Get them on board. Like. Oftentimes we, you know, we came up with this process for anomaly alerts. And when they trigger, we create a Jira ticket that can go on their backlog. Like I wouldn't have wanted to just do that um, blindly without, you know, getting them to agree that that would be, you know, worthwhile for them. Track, report, track, report and repeat. You know, you want to have that data. Um, you know, eventually someone's going to come knocking and saying, you know, how well are we doing? And so that baseline and continue to track is so important. And then, um, you know, just track 
just tackle a process at a time. Just, you know, start small. Do we know who owns all these accounts? Do we know who the engineers on these accounts are? And so um, start small and just keep reiterating. Yeah. And for starting off, like um, so the FinOps Foundation did a survey asking lots of practitioners about the size of their teams and where they're at. Um, so would you expect that a lot of companies will start off with just one person rather than a FinOps team? And that will be what, like a champion who is within a cloud center of excellence or, or does it just vary massively from company to company? It probably varies a lot, but I think it can definitely start with one person. Um, I think look at your company. You probably have people doing pockets of this already. You look at somebody that's maybe doing capacity planning in the data center. They're a great, you know, uh, the great potential FinOps person. Um, you may have someone who's paying the PO somewhere. Maybe you have somebody that's already um, doing some automation. So I think definitely when you go out the door, you might need to partner with some other folks and kind of borrow some time and then, uh, you know, eventually build up your team. But I, I do think it just takes, you know, to start with that one person that's going to say, I'm going to own this and I'm going to try to improve this process. And if you can make baby steps, your organization will see that and, and hopefully support you by building a bigger team. I always love hearing you talk, Ashley, because you, you always convey this this enthusiasm, this joy for working in this space. So there's obviously something rewarding about it for you. And I don't mean rewarding in the financial sense. Uh, what, what have you found rewarding about building this, this FinOps practice in a place like Pearson? It's a lot of the aha moments, right? It's like knowing two years ago how little we knew about finance and how they operated and being like, you know, why Why are you taking this spreadsheet and doing this? Like, let us automate this for you easier and saving a finance person three days. Like, that's an aha moment for me. Um, I love the moments where we have a team that's doing spot really well and we've got another team that's struggling and we can just say, hey, can you go work with that team? And it, it turns it around in, you know, a month or so. And so you kind of, in a FinOps role, you kind of sit at this level where you can see you know, at a macro level, what's going on. And you can kind of get people to collaborate together that maybe wouldn't have done that before. Um, so again, it's, it's kind of the aha moments. I mean, obviously I love it when we can report up that we, you know, saved over $100,000 by taking action on so-and-so. That's, that's really fun uh, to report to, but it's the connections with the people that I find the most rewarding. I'm sure it must be challenging as well. So could you give a, an example or two of challenges you've come up against that you think others would benefit from being aware of before they hit them? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so um, I would say, I would, you know, I would kind of say like when you're doing anything in life, you're going to have people that are your champions, uh, challengers, and critics. And so where I've kind of find is, you know, on your really bad days, spend some time with your champions. They're going to like lift you up, right? And with your critics or, or your um, when your challengers they're typically the ones that are kind of poking at your processes. And that's a really good place to spend time because they're the ones that you're going to learn how to improve your processes. And unfortunately, sometimes you just got to ignore your critics. Um, I've definitely had a team where, you know, we're coming in and, you know, they've been doing engineering development for 20 years and they know it all, right? And, and I respect that, but um, we sometimes have to say, well, here's what we see and we're just going to leave this with you and we'll come back in six months because that's part of our job to come back in six months and so forth. So, you know, spend your time wisely. And that, that's probably my... Um, <laughs> I don't know if I'm uh, hitting on what you mean, but um, that's probably my biggest advice for dealing with challenges. 
Yeah, that sounds good. And I think also it comes back to you were saying about having that um, top level executive sponsorship. That yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of politics involved when you're trying to do something across so many different teams. And how do you handle these critics? So yeah, having the the buy-in and the clout to be able to push through changes across the organization and try to change the culture uh, must be so important. Yeah, that's really helpful. Um, I give a kudos to my boss. He is all about education and trying new things and failing fast. And that's really powerful um, when you have someone that kind of supports you to do that. And we come up with him on a whim and we're like, hey, we want to steal, you know, 40 engineers time for four hours next week to do this fin hack. He's like, that sounds great. Let's do it. And so, yeah, I do think you're right. It's that leadership supporting, um, supporting your trial and error. That's totally cool. So I'm, I'm going to ask you to, to gaze into your crystal ball and kind of maybe drop in some predictions of, of where FinOps goes next. What's the future? Yeah, I think if you look at any of the, you know, what came before, you had the DevOps, it's kind of merged together. You got the DevSecOps, it's kind of merged together. Like, I, you know, I think you're going to see that with the FinOps merging together as well. Um, people often ask me like, well, you know, eventually do you not need a FinOps organization if you're all culturally thinking like a FinOps person? And I do think that there's a lot of core competency that will still be centralized, like buying reservations, doing the billing. A lot of that stuff doesn't uh, make a lot of sense to, you know, push to the edge. And so I think you'll have a lot of that, but, you know, you know, my hope is probably to work me out of a job and, and make sure that our FinOps uh, um, practices is so embedded in our engineer mindset. Excellent. And uh, are there any kind of innovations in this space that particularly catch your eye, things that you really want to adopt or do um, next at, at Pearson? Yeah, there's so many things. It's it's funny because people will be like, oh, Pearson's running. And when I look at us, I'm like, oh, I feel like we're still, you know, somewhere crawling and walking. And I see some big companies, Verizon, um, um, uh, Nationwide. Uh, there's a lot of other companies that I feel like they've got automation down at scale. And so I'm really impressed with that. I've seen some of these. And that's one of the parts I love about the Finance Foundation is kind of getting connect with these other teams and seeing where they're focusing time and energy. But, you know, I've seen some organizations that like don't let you build anything without tags. Like, oh, that'd be so nice if we had that feature, right? But we're, we're a little too mature to go back and implement that. And um, I've seen some organizations where they've got a pretty locked down marketplace. And so I feel like out of the foundation, I'm always learning of, you know, where we could progress to kind of, you know, uh, you know, see where these other other FinOps are really implementing some of the best innovation practices. So um, there's definitely some things out there. Um, uh, uh, always keep my ambitions high for where we can go. Yeah, and we've mentioned the FinOps Foundation a couple of times now, uh, which you know, is a foundation of thousands of practitioners. Could you say a bit more about that foundation, uh, the benefits of being a member? What, what should people expect? Yeah, so there's the FinOps Foundation. You go to finops.org. Um, you can join there. And um, it's really a community. And it's a safe space. And it's a place to um, you know, bounce ideas off of teams. It doesn't matter if you've been doing it for three years or six months. Like There's always you know, stumbling and questions that come upon. And so I think one of the key things about the foundation is we have a community with, with, via Slack. And so we have many different rooms in there. If you want to talk about Azure, GCP, savings plan, like we have a community to support you. So I love that. We also do a lot of member calls, a lot of summits where we really drill down on uh, specific topics. And ideally, the the foundation is trying to create this framework of best practices. So 
again, whether you're starting day one or you're on day 400, you've got uh, a template of like how you should be, you know, doing container chargeback and things like that. And so um, the other part of the foundation is they have a certification program. So you can go through a course and get certified. And that has really been helpful for my team because we did that early on and really level set everybody on our team. So um, can't say enough about good things about the foundation and what it is. And, you know, it's evolved so quickly. So I think it's just going to continue to be really powerful going forward for people that are doing this type of work. Yeah. And for that certification, I thought it was actually really valuable and interesting. It's not like a boring dry certification. There's so many anecdotes that you hear from uh, real world practitioners who are running those courses. So yeah, I find that a lot of fun. Yeah, 100%. It's, you, you get some theory, but you you definitely get the how-tos. And I think that's where we benefit the most. Fantastic. Always love hearing what you've got to say, Ashley. Always love to hear your thoughts. Uh, finally, if, if people want to hear more from you, where can they where can they find you? Where can they do that? Yeah, sure. Um, I do have a LinkedIn, so you can check me out at Ashley Romaco. Um, I'm also always in the FinOps Foundation. So if you join there, I'm happy to Slack or do a call with anybody um, to do a deeper dive. Superb. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you've enjoyed this latest episode. Do subscribe to ensure you get updates on future episodes. And if you have any feedback or if there are topics you'd like us to cover in the future, just let us know in the comments or on the social media channels. You can find us on Twitter, on LinkedIn and YouTube and all the usual suspects. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.